Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, another Hamilton mobster has been shot. Is it a changing of the guard? The president of the Philippines said, Canada has one week to take back its garbage or its war. Can a country that preaches environment be so environmentally ignorant? And Joe Biden has announced his candidacy for the presidency of the United States. What are his chances? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Hamilton mobster Pat Musitano uh, has been shot in Mississauga this morning. Uh, don't know a lot at this point other than uh, it appears to be very serious injuries. To talk more about this, Ross McLean is with us, crime specialist, security expert, former Toronto cop, and the Facebook page is Crime Power and Politics. He's with us now. Ross, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Yes, Scott. I'm starting to think this should be turned into a TV series and filmed in Hamilton. Uh, For the way that this story is going on and on and on, it's really quite the story. So uh, what do we know uh, from the actions this morning? What exactly do we know? Well, here's the specifics that we know. We know that uh, Pat uh, was shot and critically wounded, seriously wounded, uh, in Mississauga this morning at about 7 o'clock at an address uh, on Matheson Boulevard. And what he was doing there, apparently, in his black SUV that was just towed from the area, was visiting with a person who is supposed to be his lawyer. He was in having the meeting with his lawyer, and when he came out, he was shot. Uh, we can't really tell. I can't see from the photos of the SUV any damage on the side from the passenger side and front windows uh, if he was shot inside the vehicle or while he was getting into it. But he's there. It's blocked off, and the cops are, are over it trying to figure out what's going on. And as far as the extent of the injuries, all we know is that it's it's serious. Yeah, it's serious. Uh, but there's you know there's some more interesting pieces to this. As we know, his uh, we just had his uh, father buried just the other day. Yeah, that just happened the other day. And what we've seen the last couple of times, it, it seems, with the attacks on this family, it's always come just before or just after some kind of event, after an anniversary, this sort of thing, whatever where someone may not be paying as much attention. They've got their mind on something else. And and also to be of note, although we don't know of anything tied to it yet, the, the lawyer that he was meeting with, one of his partners came out to speak with the police. Uh, this lawyer has got a, uh, a rather interesting history of clients that he's defended in the past as well, which include the Hells Angels and uh, another guy who ran a giant strip club chain before that made millions and millions of dollars uh, running human trafficking all over. So uh, certainly an interesting lawyer that he was in visiting. Is he a person of interest for police? Uh, there's way too early to say uh, anything like that. Way too early to say anything like that. There, there's At minimum, they mention that the law firm does have some video outside their offices, but the uh, the lawyer who spoke claims it wasn't aimed at the, at the place where his car was parked. Uh, but, you know, I have to say it's rather interesting when we look at the string of all the different attacks on this family uh, over the last number of years, from the uh, houses being set on fire to his younger brother being murdered in his driveway. There's actually been, you know, some warrants put out for that one for people who are from outside the country. And now we have this uh, shooting attack here. Uh, they sure don't seem to add up. And now, this is, this is more speculation because we've got so little to go on. I'm not so sure that they seem to add up to being mob-type hits as just organized crime-type hits, uh, based on the people that they're looking at they're arresting before or they're trying to arrest before. Explain. Get, give, a, give, a, give a bit more detail what you mean by that, Ross. Well, at the very, very broad, broad speculative terms, of course, I'm not in on all of this, but this looks like someone is trying to take out that family and all of their influence uh, to take over their business. And could that family be an organized gang like, for instance, the Hells Angels. I don't know. That but not the traditional mob, per se. Not the traditional mob, per se. That, they just seem, the names all seem different, and the reasons for the attack. So, I mean, that's pure speculation. But, I mean, certainly someone is trying to put that family uh, right out of business. Uh, you mentioned the funeral, the death uh, that they all just uh, attended. What is the significance of of this shooting happening so close to that? Does that signal a changing of the guard? You know, are, are things different with the loss of one person? 
Well, I mean, you know that certain things are going to take place when someone's going through a, a special time, right? They just had an anniversary. Uh, you just attended a funeral. Your mindset is in a different place. Uh, you're, also, your comings and goings may, may, may be more predictable at that time. So there's a bunch of different things that tie in. As I said, at, at best, I can only put it out as speculation. But what I'm saying is there sure are a whole lot of red flags and uh, fires burning all over the place that start to add up to some sort of pattern here as to what's going on. This isn't just coincidence. Uh, what do, when do you think we will find out more from police on all of this? Well, one thing we're going to have to wait and see is to see if uh, if the man survives these uh, these gunshot wounds. He's in the hospital. If he's in the hospital and still alive, that's that's a pretty good sign because uh, our doctors are pretty good at uh, gunshot and trauma stuff. But you know, in the past, he hasn't cooperated and he hasn't talked when his brother was uh, shot and killed. So uh, maybe the police would just be keeping a scorecard on this one, and it'd be interesting to see though. Uh, I mean, my guess is going to be that these are going to be shooters from out of the country as well. So it may well be that the police will have their uh, working with the border security, their intelligence people, and uh, starting to run down all the information they can to find out who's responsible for this. Uh, will police give us more information on this as it becomes available, including some of the speculation that you have? Will they go into that? Will they? Will they? Will they just write this off as another mob type uh, killing, or is this a sign of something deeper and other organized crime elements trying to infiltrate this this old territory? Well, police won't do speculation. That's not yeah. uh, that's not their role in their job. So they won't do that. Uh, they they will, I, I guess, tell us some of the uh, plain facts of the case without going into necessarily uh, the context of of what's going on here. But uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, there people forget with the mob about how much money you're talking about with organized crime. You're you're into with with uh, an active organized crime group, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, that are on the table. So there's lots of money out here, and there's certain people that control it in different areas. Um, and we'll have to see if that ends up being tied into all this. But it's it's an ongoing saga, you know. Just just you know, and maybe it is time for a changing of the guard here. Or that's what's happening. Uh, is it that, or do you think this is all uh, related back to uh, his alleged involvement uh, in, in the killing of uh, Johnny Papalia? You know, I mean, could be. I don't think anybody's... Oh, I, I would not guess that's it. I would guess it's more about money. I mean, that's what I would guess. I, I think this is more about money. If someone's uh, still alive that's uh, holding that grudge and wants to see that one done, I mean, I, I don't know. That's... Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, the motive is always the big issue. Whenever you have any shootings or any homicides, what's the motive of the person? Are the police going to be aware of what the motive are here? Um, who knows? The intelligence guys also do a pretty good job of uh, watching other people and hearing what's going on. And when it, they can, they, they certainly put the uh, pieces together. Uh, with this uh, happening so soon after the funeral, um, do, do you think that this is the type of tip of the iceberg that we're going to see more of this? Well, or has the message I mean, been sent? Well, they've been sending the message. That's, that's what I said to you about three or four events ago with this yeah. family, that the message was being sent for it. Now he's in the hospital and, and is he going to survive this? I saw one other uh, uh, good crime uh, historian, if you will, writer, who claims that the Musitanil family does not have the muscle it used to have and may not be in a position to be able to strike back. Uh, that was speculation by another person who watches the mob uh, very, very closely. Um, I mean, I guess we'll know. We will hear from the police, I imagine, if he's able to uh, get out from under this gunshot become stable and the police are able to talk to him, the police will be able to say if he's talking or not. I suspect he won't be. He hasn't in the past. Uh, I can't let you go without uh, uh, Barry and, Sher and Honey Sherman uh, back in the headlines again in the Toronto Star. Uh, police have working theory on an idea of what happened. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, they will have a working theory in that the theories of everything they've been able to learn so far certainly rules a lot of things out. Right. I mean, you can rule out things that it was just uh, uh, a happenstance problem uh, that that someone broke into the house and found him and killed them. They can tell from the evidence 
uh, what likely happened there. So they're going to have working theories. What's interesting is that the star story that was out today was based on uh, information taken from the warrants to obtain information that were in there that claimed that the police are still trying to recover uh, a lot of electronic data that they have not been able to get yet, that they've had warrants put out for. Uh, that'll be interesting for what they're trying to get there. And that some witnesses are not uh, cooperating, don't want to speak to the police, and some have left the country that they can't find. Although, once again, that's fairly thin gruel. We don't understand all of the information that's around that. Significance of the star obtaining this information. I'm, is there anything there, anything um, that, that really moves this discussion forward? Well, what the star is doing is trying to get information out from the courts, and they were arguing that there's no reason for the, much of this information to be uh, held uh, under a publication ban. And they they argued about the the death of one of the uh, the Olin family out in was it Newfoundland? There, he was you know one of the right. brewery kingpins there, yep. and mm-hmm. they had some of that information released. They argued it, so they argued it here. And the one judge that is seized of all this is sitting on it and hasn't made a decision yet about releasing more of the information because they don't want to compromise what is the investigation. Uh, So we'll have to see. But, you know, it's interesting in terms of what electronic information they may be going after. Uh, We had a bit of information released from uh, Google that Google apparently and Apple, they, uh, they keep records of everywhere you've gone. If you've got a Google phone or an Android phone, uh, and you use any of the location devices, they've got it all, and they've kept it in a vault. And certainly down in the U.S., the police are able to to do things like put out a warrant that just says, give me the information of everybody who is in the area at this time. Then they're able to take those and follow them down and continue to chase them. So hmm. who knows? There may be a digital trail that uh, points more in one direction than the other, but... Once should, again, I'm, I'm reduced to speculation on a lot yeah. of this with you. Should talk. more of this information be made available, or is it too crucial to the investigation, as police say? Well, we don't know. The, the, the police did say, uh, according to the Star report, that they received a few hundred tips from the tip line that the, uh, the private investigators put up, and they said they weren't going to qual- uh, qualify or much more quantify the, the, the nature of those, uh, of those tips. However, apparently at one point, one of the lawyers did ask the police officer who they were cross-examining, well, was he aware of anybody who uh, claimed that if the, the information was released, they, their life would be uh, threatened? And the officer said, no, no one's come forward to say that in terms of not releasing the information. So uh, the onion is being peeled slowly. It's going to be a while till we get more information, I think, Scott. Are we get, do you get the feeling that they're making inroads on this case, or is it cold? Cold isn't the right word for it. Lukewarm. <laughs> yeah. Are they making further inf- inroads, or yeah. are they sort of stuck and hit a wall? Yeah. I mean, I mean that I would think maybe stuck and hit a wall uh, could be closer to the truth, because when you have a good thread and you put enough stuff together, I mean, eventually that leads to doing something. But seemingly, according to this uh, this reporting, the police haven't even recovered a lot of the, as I said, the the information and the records they've asked to have obtained. So I, I, there's, there's a bit of a wall that's hit here, perhaps. Ross McLean has been with us, crime specialist, security expert. Uh, RossMcLeanSecurity.com to find out more. And the Facebook page is Crime, Power, and Politics, talking about the case of uh, Barry and Honey Sherman and uh, the latest breaking story of uh, Pat Masitano shot in Mississauga this morning. Uh, Ross, as always, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, the leader of the Philippines says he's given Canada one week to take back the garbage that was left by a company, uh, I guess, about six years ago. From what I understand about this story, it appears that uh, about 100 containers uh, were sent to the Philippines, and the thought was they were recyclable plastic that I guess could be used with industry and such. Um, By the time the uh, containers got there, and were open and, and inspected, uh, it was realized there was no real usable recyclable plastic in here at all, and uh, that this was just uh, typical household garbage waste. So nothing of any use to anybody who's in the recycling business, and not only that, presenting a problem uh, for those in the Philippines in that now they got got 100 containers of stinky garbage sitting in their port uh, and have had for about six years. To talk more about all of this, Julie Abushar is with us, partner Williams and Schreier, an ex 
expert in environmental energy and natural resources, law, and on the line with us now. Julie, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. What can you tell us about this case, uh, about the company involved? How did we get here? Well, your summary of uh, the facts are are um, pretty much what I've heard as well, and we don't really know all the facts uh, for sure yet. Um, but it does appear that the Philippines refused um, this shipment, and um, the issue was that at the time, six years ago, there was no um, mechanism in Canadian law for the exporter to take back the shipment. And so in the last six years, the Philippines and the Canadian diplomats have been talking about this, trying to find a solution, um, and this waste has basically been orphaned um, in the in the Philippines. So, it's, sorry, it's, go ahead. Yeah, it's complicated. You know, you say, how did this happen? It sounds straightforward. You just have to take it back. It's complicated because um, not only is there no mechanism at the, in Canadian law at the time to take it back, but also um, we've got two different countries' um, laws that apply to different stages of the activity, and we have international obligations, which reasonable people could interpret differently. So Mm. they're not 100% clear. So nobody's really sure whose responsibility it is, although I thought a court had ruled that it was up to Canada to take care of this. Um, So a court in the Philippines um, um, did order the goods to be returned to Toronto, the waste to be returned to Canada. Um, But interestingly, that the hearing didn't take place. It was on on the eve of the hearing, the prosecutors came to the hearing to say, uh, with a solution to dispose of it within the Philippines, Um, but the court uh, didn't um, hear that and instead ordered that the waste be returned to Canada. So that raises issues around uh, jurisdiction and how an order in a foreign court could apply to um, a company in in Canada or indeed to Canada itself. So it's It raises some complicated legal jurisdictional issues. So you said the proper mechanisms weren't in place when this all started. How has the law changed since then? Uh, So the Canadian um, regulations now provide um, that an exporter is is responsible for the return of uh, of waste that is, um, you know, not in compliance with the international convention, with the treaty, the Basel Treaty. And when did these laws change? Do we know? Uh, 2016. Okay, cool. So where is the company in all of this that was involved with exporting these? I mean, we've heard lots of, 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 of back and forth between government. What about the company involved? As I understand it, uh, and I'm, it's not a file that I'm working on, uh, the company is now inactive or dormant. It's so not- what, what does that mean for, for, you know, in layman's terms? Well, I'm not sure. It's what I've read in the press. I right. did, we did do a search um, here and to see that the company is still existing. It's not a bankrupt, but um, but that's what I've been reading about about the company. Will government go after the company to recoup costs or or uh, yeah, recoup costs with all of this? What what is their responsibility? Um, so that that's an excellent question, and and this whole um, situation raises. Um, the issue that is on a lot of people's mind about responsibility for contamination and um, and for waste. Um, from the from a Canadian perspective, uh, this conversation has been going on for some time. Within the courts, uh, they have been um, more and more taking the view that the uh, polluter is responsible for its contamination. So. Any speculation how this happened? I mean, so these containers were supposed to contain recyclable plastic, which could have been, I'm guessed, reused in in industry in some way. So did someone try to pull a fast one? Let's just fill them with garbage and, and call it a day. I mean, is there unscrupulous behavior here somewhere or a confusion? I Scott, I, you know, I I can't speculate on what right. happened. I really uh, don't have any details on the facts of the situation. Um, you know, I can talk about the law, and I can right. I can say that from a legal perspective, it's unclear. Um, and I can imagine that the the diplomatic conversations going on um, circled around the question of what is the most practical solution, because the Basel Convention does say that um, if it's impracticable to return. Um, such a shipment to the country of origin or Canada, 
um, then it can be disposed of locally in the in the country that um, where it is sit, is sitting. Uh, so I imagine the conversations, uh, the diplomatic conversations that went on are about the practicality of different solutions and yeah. what is the best solution. So is um, the solution necessarily loading it all back onto a freighter and shipping it back, or is it from an environmental, from an environmental cost, energy costs, uh, time, and so on, just to... Uh, responsibly dispose of it there. Yeah, those are that's those are excellent questions, and and I and I I imagine that that's been the perspective of Canada uh, during all these years. And in fact, um, you know, during the, the the hearing, as I mentioned at the top of the conversation, uh, the prosecutors in the Philippines did come um, did want to present to the court, as I understand it, a solution that involved right. safely disposing of it in the Philippines, but that wasn't accepted by the court. So, you know, it, and why wasn't that accepted by the I, court? I'm, I don't, again, don't know, I was yeah. not involved in that, it, right. um, you know, what I've read, uh, but I just think it gives a sense that it's not uh, black and white, and there's, right. you know, there are different ways uh, to resolve the, the issue. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, the time that it's taken to, to, to discuss it diplomatically uh, you know, may may explain that. So that, that that obviously is the delay, is the complexity of all of this, and, and who knows what and, and what everyone's responsibility is here. Right, and I mean, significantly next week, all the parties to the Basel Convention are meeting, um, and there may be opportunities to resolve it. I know that the, the Canadian government has said they expect to resolve it um, quickly. Um, next week at the uh, at the meeting of all the parties, there's always opportunities for diplomatic uh, resolution to take place as well. Uh, either way, Canada has to flip the bill for this. Is that correct? Um, yeah. or, or is it? Mm-hmm. I, the, what, what we don't know is, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the potential for uh, the company to be involved at this point uh, the regulations do provide um, that the company should receive back the waste, but um, as I said, I'm I, I'm, I'm not um, right. aware of the exact status uh, of the company. Why do you think the president is making this an issue now? Why, obviously, he's trying to speed up the process here. But uh, again, if there's negotiations undergoing, uh, a- any way to explain the president's reaction and you know declaring war on us if we don't get the garbage out of here in a week? You know, why now? I, I don't know, but it is significant that this issue has captured the interests of the public and environmental groups um, so so significantly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this this interest in waste and plastics uh, is, is emerging, I think, as an issue of, of 2019 and, and of our time. It's altering the way companies are doing business. They're replacing plastic straws. Cities are banning plastic bags. Industrial processes are changing so that output is less harmful to the environment and and municipal infrastructure. So I think it may have um, coincided with a high level of uh, public interest and and interest from environmental groups. Uh, How does this, uh, what does this do to Canada's image when it comes to, uh, obviously, our feeling on the environment and such? What does it do for our image on on the world stage? Well, yeah, it doesn't make us look good, that's for sure. Uh, Is it, is there any one government you can blame for this? Or is this just one of those situations that uh, it's a bad one and everybody's just trying to make the best uh, out of this? Yeah, I, I don't know that you would put blame um, on one or the other. As I said, I think it's a complicated uh, jurisdictional arena, and the and the the legal obligations under the treaty are not 100% clear. Uh, and I think that from what I've been hearing, that the um, both Canada and the Philippines have been trying to find a solution for many years, uh, and. Um, so I, I I understand it's their intent to resolve this peacefully, and I so I don't um, I don't I don't know that. Um, Do you think all this publicity like, will speed up the process? Oh, I think for sure that yeah. the publicity and also the and it may also be related to the proximity of the meeting of the Basel yeah. Convention next week. If the parties are all getting together, uh, there's always an opportunity there to raise issues uh, and have them um, resolved or or put pressure on. Um, uh, different parties to uh, 
uh, to try to, to come to solutions. And it'll be interesting to see if this enters into the discussion along with the whole plastics debate, because that's really what this is about, recyclable plastic. At least that's what it was supposed to be anyway. Right, right. And that's an issue that um, really has captured people's attentions right, attention right now. And it's quite amazing how a photo or a, you know, a social media feed can really... Um, uh, generate change. I, that's the you know the, the the swiftness with which some companies have abandoned plastic straws is pretty mm. um, you know is I think is as a result of of that um, that presence on on social media. Julie Abouchar has been with his partner Williams and Schreier, uh, experts in environmental energy and natural resources law. Julie, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The situation in the Philippines, uh, the Philippine president upset with Canada because a uh, private company uh, shipped 100 containers, over 100 containers to the Philippines. Uh, they were This was like six years ago. Supposed to be recycled plastic, which I guess would be broken down by industry and, uh, and reused and such, recycled. And when the uh, containers arrived, there was nothing in there that they could really use. Instead, they were just filled with uh, common household waste. So not only is there nothing usable in these containers, but now they're presented with the problem of how do they dispose of them. Uh, And, of course, the uh, PR nightmare uh, ensues as Canada, of course, is always talking about the environment and and preaching good stewardship and yet has has let this uh, kind of fester. That being said, it is certainly a lot more complicated than uh, what it initially uh, appears to be. Uh, And in the end, it is Canada's responsibility to clean up the mess. It's just nobody's sure at this point exactly uh, what to do with it. Uh, There's been uh, one uh, NDP MP that's been very vocal about this. Let's bring in Gord Johns, NDP MP for Courtney Alberni out in beautiful British Columbia. And he is with us now. Gord, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Yeah, hi, Scott. Uh, any idea how this, how we got to this place? Any, any more comments or news or information in regard to the company that was involved in this? No, we, we don't have those details. In fact, that, that would be something that would certainly help uh, everyone uh, to have a clear picture of, of who the company is. It's my understanding that, you know, in 2013, 2014, that 103 shipping containers that left Canada were labeled as plastics as you're you know, uh, outlined and arrived in the Philippines, and it was uh, filled with garbage, including adult diapers, you know, soiled papers, electronic equipment, and household waste, and none of it could be recycled. And, you know, I know that there's been multiple attempts by the Filipino government to get Canada to take back the containers um, that are still sitting in the two Filipino ports. Now, the, the, in contrast, uh, South Korea took back 50 mistakenly shipped containers from the Philippines last year, and uh, they went after the company after they, they brought the goods home. They understood uh, the pressure that they were under to deal with it, um, the shame that it was bringing on their country. And here, uh, Canada has the same opportunity to do the same thing. Uh, any idea how this happened? Is this, you were talking about this happening in other examples. Uh, any idea if this was a mistake or is this just somebody's trying to get rid of something and pull a fast one? Well, I think that we're we're seeing more and more of our, our plastic and our waste getting shipped uh, to the other side of the world, where it's cheap to dispose of. Often, it's uh, sent to countries with uh, infrastructure that isn't in place to deal with the products that we're sending them to recycle them in a way that Canadians would expect that their their goods would be taken care of. Um, that's certainly uh, increasing uh, and being exasperated by the fact that China is no longer taking plastics, which was a huge dumping ground for uh, the first world in terms of getting rid of its plastic uh, waste. So, you know, we're finding that a lot of the, the, the companies that are taking on this waste material, they're shipping it to countries that don't have that infrastructure. Uh, it's ending up in their water, in their rivers, and uh, in the ocean. Uh, children are living in dumps of plastic. It's horrific what's happening. And so we need to make sure that we have good laws in place so that this isn't taking place and that we're responsible for our own waste. And certainly when it comes to plastic uh, pollution, and uh, that we're taking care of it here at home. Now, I understand that, uh, that the mechanism, the laws really weren't in place at the time that these were shipped, that, they, uh, that, that now has since changed. Are you confident that this practice has stopped or, or at least we're reexamining what we're doing here? 
No, and in fact, um, there's still some debate on whether there is some responsibility of the government of Canada, and there's a legal opinion that suggests otherwise. Um, Canada, as you heard earlier, is a signatory to the Basel Convention, which requires developed countries to only ship hazardous waste to the developing world with the consent of the importing country. And that convention is uh, revisited every two years. And again, next week, it's going to be revisited. And Norway has put forward some really strong recommendations to strengthen the laws on shipping hazardous waste, and especially uh, plastic, uh, so that, uh, you know, countries aren't dumping their plastic onto the developing world and uh, washing their hands of it and not taking responsibility. This situation in particular in regard to uh, these containers in the port of Manila, how complicated, how complex an issue is this to solve? Well, I'm sure it's very complex, and I know that the government has expressed the challenges that they faced around that. Um, Again, uh, you know, South Korea handled it in a very different way. They took responsibility. They didn't want to bring shame on the government. Uh, Is that what we should be doing here, Gord, instead of sitting this, debating this? I mean, obviously, court, uh, you know, a court has ruled that it is Canada's responsibility, although we just did hear from a legal expert that said that uh, conditions of keeping the garbage there and then just uh, uh, safely disposing of it there never made the courts. Uh, That being said, should the government have just, you know, put them on a freighter and brought them back? Well, people have been up in arms in the streets of the, uh, Manila and, and across the Philippines. You know, shaming Canada, uh, this is an embarrassment to our country. The situation has dragged on for more than five years. And instead of doing the right thing, the Liberal government's been sitting on their hands. I think that uh, most Canadians would agree that we should remove the plastic, uh, you know, avoid this diplomatic crisis that's unnecessary, then go after the company here at home. Uh, the Trudeau Liberal government likes to talk about corporate social responsibility, but after more than a year, they've still failed to establish the announced office of a Canadian ombudsperson for responsible enterprise, and they clearly can't be counted on to stand up to corporate interests. So this is an excellent opportunity for us to deal with Canadian companies' bad behaviour overseas, um, but also ensuring that we're protecting, you know, our our, comp- our country and our reputation. This is at the highest level. I mean, when the president of the Philippines is, uh, you know, literally calling it a, a war against Canada, I mean, I don't know how much more heightened of uh, concern the Canadian government should take uh, this issue, but South Korea handled it properly. And I'd like to see Canada do that, and certainly in this instance, so that we can uh, we can make sure that we we maintain that relationship with the Philippines as best we can, and uh, and protect uh, our country from being in this situation again. Um, and that's by supporting strengthening the Basel Convention next week in Geneva. Gord Johns has been with us, NDP NP for Courtney Alberni out in beautiful British Columbia commenting on the trash of, Can- of uh, Canada's trash uh, still stinking up the port of uh, Manila. Gord, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Yeah, you bet, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots to talk about with Alyssa Freeman, public relations consultant, principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Well, hello, Scott. Let's start up here in Canada, then we'll move to the United States. Uh, Considering how, uh, uh, you know, we're preached at that pollution has a a price now, that pollution's not free, and our image is a squeaky clean country, uh, 100 containers sitting down in the Philippines of rotted garbage, how long do you think before that's cleaned up now? Oh my goodness, you know, this is this is the problem when you come out with a platform and you preach away and all your key messages say that Canada is a leader and we believe in climate change and, you know, recycling is all part of that. Then suddenly you have this huge problem that's actually gone from one administration, from the Harper administration, has now landed, you know, squarely in Trudeau's administration um, about all of this garbage and recycling that's been sitting around the Philippines for all this time. So, you know, the fact that Trudeau inherited this, you know, you can give him some points for that. But, however, he's done nothing about it. And it's not that Harper wasn't big on climate change, but certainly... Well, and I also understand we've just had a legal expert on this, that the laws were not in place in there to... uh, The law mechanism wasn't in place to address this. Apparently now it is in place to do so. And and the complex issue is now, uh, what do you do with it? We know Canada is supposed to pay for it, but what do you do with it? 
Well, from what I have been hearing experts all morning talk about this, and you know what everybody's saying is take it back and dispose of it the way you're supposed to dispose of it. Yeah. Um, whether they're going to do that or not, you know, when you hold yourself up on a platform such as the one that Trudeau has done about climate change and you know about caring for the earth, then you know you're sort of put between a, a rock and a hard place, right, Scott? I mm-hmm. mean, you do you walk the talk or do you try and walk away from this? And I honestly don't think that he can walk away from this. And I think that something's going to have to be done. And unfortunately, it's up to them to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure of bringing it all back. Here's the answer when you can. And, and I'm just saying that from an environmental perspective and the energy and cost it's going to take to ship it all back. If it's better just to dispose of it safely there, who knows? But still, it's Canada's responsibility. Well, it is, and that's what makes it a complex problem. Like, you can go back and forth with the president of the Philippines, and what is he, practically declared war? Yeah. Um, So, you know, that's a problem. I don't know about the last people. He's going to start start lobbing our own garbage at us. You know, and I think that you have to make this problem go away. So you can discuss all the the fine details and minutiae of it, but people don't understand that. People don't want to know the fine details. That may be, okay, you know, the laws weren't in place then, but they are in place now. So if the laws are in place now, then go by the law and and figure out how to figure out this problem. All right, let's move on. Uh, uh, Election in PEI. I actually talked to a professor out in PEI, and I'm thinking, wow, when was the last time we were really concerned about an election in PEI? This one a lot because the polls heading into the election said the Greens were way out in front. Uh, That didn't uh, come to uh, total fruition. However, the Greens uh, did get enough votes to make up the official opposition in what is now a PC minority government out out there. Uh, That leaves a large, large portion of the the country now under some sort of PC rule and not the liberal rule. Uh, is Is the political tide in Canada changing here? Oh, boy. And if you didn't think it was, it certainly is now. You know... People always say, what do Canadians care about? Well, they care about health. That's always number one. And everybody felt that climate change in the environment was way down the list. Well, I've been thinking about this, and I really think that this election is a bit of a bellwether. You know, what's happening in Canada's smallest province, but... You know, people there are concerned about issues, uh, not unlike all Canadians. Mm-hmm. And some may, you know, and I think to brush it aside and to not take it seriously is folly. And I think that it's important for the the parties now to come up with solid platforms that speak to their uh, their environmental proposals. You know, if, when the Greens come in second, you know, I think people, whenever it comes to a new party. Well, new-ish party, the Greens have been around for a long time. But when it, whenever it comes to a party that could potentially rule. People get a little gun shy. So people may say they're going to vote green, but at yeah. the end of the day, they just really want them. Well, we've been opposite. dealing with that in the NDP forever, especially in Ontario since uh, the election of Bob Ray. And then everybody, you know, it's like putting your hand back on a hot stove. Well, exactly. So, you know, you know, having Bob Ray when he was premier of the province, uh, a lot of people woke up that morning and couldn't believe that we were being run by the NDP. Um, it was sort of a, a splash of cold water uh, to everybody, and everybody remembers Ray Days. And so after that, Ontarians, you know, within recent memory anyways, are very gun-shy. So by having the Greens in power, people are going to be watching uh, the PE government like they've never before. And, you know, the leader of the Green Party here in Ontario has proven himself to be a very capable orator, very capable at um, Mm -hmm. getting across party messages. And I think that he's going to start making more of a name for himself now that his, you know, his party in the Maritimes has is now in a real position of power. We're trying to get him on tomorrow for that very reason. I think that it will be a great interview. I think he's, you know, very articulate. Yeah. And people are really worried about... And and I so I, I think and here and here's a conversation that I'll have with him tomorrow. But um, I, I think that I, I think that many I missed that. What was that? Carbon tax. Oh, there you go. Um, you know, I'm going deaf in one ear. Uh, it, I think it's age. Anyway, uh, or maybe it's just the job I'm doing, and I'm just or shutting it. Or maybe it's the ear that I'm talking in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, I. I um, I think many assume that the Green Party is farther left than the NDP. And when it comes to environmental issues, maybe that's the case. But in other issues, they're not. And I thought it was a very odd pairing to have a, a you know a PC minority being supported by uh, a, a green uh, opposition, as opposed to out west, what we're seeing in BC, where it's uh, NDP governing and propped up by two greens or, or three greens or such. So it, it's an interesting it's an industri- interesting blend of politics, and it'll be fascinating to see if it works. 
Well, it's interesting because you're looking at both extremes of the country. You know, you know, the BC and, and PEI could not be more polar opposites. Um, but apparently they have some ideology where they cross in the middle. I think that it's important that, you know, yes, we know that the Greens stand for very strong environmental policies, but where do they stand everywhere else? Yeah. I have to be honest. Uh, and they seem I, to be I, I, a more I, I, centrist I party when it comes to that. At least yeah, that's what I'm getting know. experts the, telling me. I'd like to know a little bit more about their foreign affairs, which, yeah. you know... Uh, Normally, I don't think Canadians worry too much about foreign affairs, but when we see about the debacle that Trudeau's government has uh, and how they've engaged in foreign affairs, uh, specifically when he's doing costume changes, um, you know, I think... (laughs) So you don't think they have have the muscle there? I I don't. I really don't. I really don't. And, And if they do, they need to prove that. But right now, that hasn't been their forte. That's not how they have positioned themselves. And it's... You know, federally, if if you're going to run and you expect to be in power, you better be strong in all areas, or at least most of them. Uh, Do you think that uh, the Green Party is becoming the third party of choice for Canadians uh, instead of the NDP? Do you think the NDP has has to worry here that this, this party might jump in front of them? It's a signal, and not to pay attention to it would be ridiculous. You know, when you see something like this, you think, oh, you know... It's just PEI, Canada's smallest province. You know, I could walk across it in a, in a day or two. Well, well no. I, I think that you have to take it more seriously than that. And then they have to look at why they lost in PEI, what parts of their platform did not sing at all in that province, and what vaulted the green over them. Was it because it was just a weak candidate or was it a weak platform? And so they have to look at all those variables. And then they have to tighten up their messaging, especially with the federal election not that far away. So how do you think Justin Trudeau is processing all of this, especially considering with women in, in the Aboriginal community, uh, Quebec and, and environmentalists, like this was a big box for them to check off. Like now they're being out environmentalist, uh, uh, out uh, climatized by, I'm looking for a word here that doesn't exist. Uh, they're being outmaneuvered here uh, by the Greens with the, one of their key uh, platforms of, of the, uh, the election campaign. Well, he could dress in a tree costume because he does really well with costumes. <laughs> if I was a tree, what kind of tree would I be? Exactly. You know, or maybe start using some plant metaphors like from, you know, you know, small. But is this going to be, is he going grow. to try to outgreen the greens the way he tried to well, outlaugh the NDP? I think that the one way we're going to know this is that if the liberals float some sort of quote unquote green narrative in the next few weeks. Um, that's what they're doing right now. They're floating a bunch of narratives and they're seeing what sticks. And, and when they see how Canadians react, where, where are they weak, where are they strong? And it wouldn't surprise me that within the next, I don't know, three to four weeks, that there is some sort of climate or green narrative coming out. And they're going to see where it lands among Canadians in terms of reaction. And if it lands, then it'll be a strong part of their platform. If it doesn't, they're going to go have to. They're going to go have back to the uh, again. Board. If you're an environmentalist and you're thinking that you're voting liberal because they seem to be more conscious of the environment, uh, now that green is gaining credibility, why are you going to bother voting liberal? Why don't you just go right to the greens? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Who's more green, the greens or li- or the liberals? Well, and, and is, is green too green for people? Yeah. And are other parties, as long as they have some sort of policy in there, are they, um, you know, would they be, would you feel comfortable voting for them? However, you know, when you talk about green policies, that's why Trudeau needs to act on the situation with the Philippines right now. Because if you're going to include environmentalism in your platform, you cannot uh, have this question with the Philippines, this issue with the Philippines, come back at you over and over and again. So if you imagine that, you know, there's always a number of debates across the country, and when it comes to green policies, you know, Trudeau's going to have to, aside from the litany of other things he's going to have to defend, you know, this is just one more to add on top of the pile. So, you know, the best situation is really for him to take care of it if he's going to really harp on a green platform. Um. Who who is who are the Greens the biggest threat to? Do you think the NDP or the Liberals? Well, I think the well, you know what? It's, it's that's a really interesting question. Right away, my default answer would have been to the NDP, but I think you have to go really riding by riding where it's a very tenuous race. You know, for example, the Liberals fell out of favor in Ontario. Um, now we've been living with this PC government under Doug Ford for a little bit. So do the Greens, do they have a bigger chance in Ontario because of it? 
uh, as in, in competition with the Liberals? I don't know. So I really, uh, Scott, I think it's a province by province case and on how the political parties are faring in each province. All right. And, you know, and that's a good uh, that, that that's a great observation, simply because, I mean, these parties are completely different depending upon which province you're in. I mean, well, the, the NDP out in Alberta. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, just, just you know, the one thing that I have noticed is that the environmental coalition worldwide has become very noisy of late. You know, just today yeah. or uh, earlier today in London, environmentalists have been basically gluing themselves or their clothing, at least onto walls. Um, today they were in front of the World Bank, or I, I don't know, but but they have been very very noisy against world leaders or their country's leaders who are going against not doing enough about environmental policies. So you know we used to see that with um, health issues. I think the first time we saw extreme um, protesters in our recent memory was uh, around AIDS and ACT UP earlier in the 60s and 70s. You know there were issues against war, and this mm. seems to be the next sort of global extreme issue attracting a lot of people who are sick and tired of doing business status quo. So environmentalism is starting to become more of a newsworthy topic because of the actions that people are taking. So therefore, it gives heightened awareness to us all wherever we live. Uh, I had an expert on uh, yesterday from the Clean 50 uh, organization. He said uh, Canada, uh, despite its small population, puts out more has a larger carbon footprint than than most countries because of various reasons. So are we all going to get into living in small... And he brought up, we all live in too big of homes. We we spread out. We, are, are you going to get Canadians? Are you going to get the world to move backwards when it comes to how they live? Mm, not in the short term, but... You know, this is an older population, so somebody like me is thinking, how much longer am I going to live in my big house? Yeah. Um, what, what they term a big house. I don't know what they think a big house is, but in terms of square footage. So there is a large chunk of the population right now that is downsizing, but mainly out of necessity or, you know, they don't need all that space. Um, you know, there's also a group that is refusing to have children because the, I know. That's the world is overpopulated. Yeah, see, and, that's way too, see, that's where you lose me. It's like, well, as soon as you're trying to get people to yeah, give up their cars and move into smaller houses and live like they did in the, in the 1920s or whenever, it ain't going to happen. Like, exactly. Because, you know, yeah. flying is... Uh, exactly. I, was, I follow a particular blogger who's big on sustainability and she happens to be in the Maldives. And apparently she went on, you know, Instagram and the amount of hate that was spewed at her because she talks about sustainability, yet she flies somewhere. You know, uh, you know, with vitriol, you're not going to gain friends. You know, my mother always said, what did she say? You can ca- catch more bees with honey than you can with vinegar. Yeah. That's very environmentalized. All right. Uh, le- I can't let you go without what's ha- uh, without talking about what's happening south of the border. Uh, Joe Biden uh, in the race now for uh, the uh, presidential run against Trump. Is he the front runner now? How does he balance the Democratic Party when you got people like Bernie Sanders uh, chomping at his ankles? You know, they say that there's a large proportion of Democrats that would already vote for for Joe Biden. You know, he's sort of coming in as a front runner. Yeah. And uh, he's been around a long time. I noticed that, you know, whenever he's been on TV and in interviews, he's wearing a, you know, he's showing off his muscular physique by a tight fitted shirt and his his aviators and looking very suave and youngish and debonair. And, you know, then there's this whole issue of the, you know, the creepy Uncle Joe syndrome. Does that has that resonated or is that all but subsided? You know what? It'll resonate against some pe- with some people, but I will tell you, when you have a sitting president right now who has, who is verbally and openly abusive um, against women, you know, Joe Biden is a small potatoes. So I think that it's a, it's a relative term. I think that 10 years ago, it would have been appalling. But right now, when you compare what's already there, uh, it's one extreme to the next. What can uh, Biden say to Americans that is going to sway them? How does he how, how does he not be labeled as a, a former uh, Obama guy that or maybe that's a good thing or, uh, you know, an old guy, old school? Uh, what is he going to say that's going to resonate with Americans more than Trump? You know, that's the million dollar question. And and Scott, I think that's where the Democratic Party has to be really careful how they tread. I mean, this cannot be a versus Donald Trump campaign. That's not going to win them the election. Yeah. They have to carve out their own platform. And maybe that platform is, you know, we need to get back to a balanced America because extreme, extremism isn't doing us uh, any favors. 
So, you know, there's a lot of Trump policies that have gone through, you know, when you talked about, the, you know, the revised tax laws and everybody was jumping up and down, but that's only if you were within the 1% and people are not getting as much back um, from their returns as they had hoped. So I think there's certain realities with the presidency that can certainly be put under fire in certain extremes, such as separating children from their families over the border. Um, it's a very, very fine line. I think that the Democrats have to be smart and savvy how they message this. And, you know, you hear you have in Biden somebody who's been there, done that. And when we talk about uh, knowing that somebody who can get balance back uh, on the world scene, I think that's very important for the U.S. right now. That's an interesting point, because uh, this morning, and, and I, I don't have the statement in front of me, but he, he said something about the soul of America and 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 how that has become lost. Is this a campaign, you know, assuming that he wins the, the nomination for the Democrats, will this be a, uh, a campaign that is fought on policy and in this or that or the wall or what have you, or will it be on character? Uh, look at the divisiveness here. Look at the rhetoric here. Look how uh, we are now viewed on the world stage. Is that going to resonate more than the policy or vice versa? You know, that's kind of an interesting, um, it's not kind of, it's a very interesting uh, viewpoint, Scott, because when you tend to talk a lot about policy, people get, you know, what I call me go, my eyes glaze over. Yeah. So, but when you talk about, you know, um, getting America back to its former world and international status, I think that that speaks to people. And how odd is that considering Trump's slogan was make America great again? And, and, you know, everybody's and looking happens. at this and like, no, we want to go back to when it was crappy. <laughs> well, you know, and, and let's just look at, you know, Trump with North Korea. You know, that's just been a huge debacle. Sure, I believe what the North Koreans are telling me. Really? You are? Yeah. You know, there's been there's been a lot of divisiveness. There's been an allowance for, you know, nationalists or pro-white groups to come up and, you know, and say, okay, well, we're here and, you know, the rest of you can go away. I think that there's been a lot of extremist thought and action that's yeah. been happening in the States. And, no matter, like, hardcore Republicans will always uh, protect the party. You know, you look at somebody like Lindsey Graham, who for the first, whatever, 18 months was very critical of President yeah, Trump. Yeah. And then something happened and they said, I don't know what happened, but he certainly has made uh, a 180 and is now very supportive of everything that he says. So I think that there's a lot of Republicans who are very disillusioned with Trump, but, you know, they certainly will rue his wrath or the party's wrath if they come out against him. It's it's very interesting, and I, I think that you know any any American just wants their country to be balanced, and they want to be able to live and prosper. And I think that you know the um, the party that messages that appropriately, that speaks to the heart and wants and mind of Americans, is the one that's going to win. That's very very top line, and everybody wants that. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, public relations consultant principal at Alyssa Freeman PR. As always, Alyssa, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too, Scott. Ciao. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.